This is, what, this is actually the interesting thing with PRISM is it does move the world left and right, but it also bends space ever so slightly. So truthfully, if you shift the world up ever so slightly, it bends things back so that there's this ever subtle sense that you're walking up a hill, not in any sort of aggressive way, but it mm -hmm. kind of pushes you back. So again, we, you know, sometimes you might have someone who's a toe walker. Can we push that center back so that this becomes your new movement pattern? We can move them forward if you've got, so a lot of times when we're prescribing glasses, we'll, I'll actually test someone's balance, eyes open, eyes closed, um, you know, destabilizing. And I'm getting a sense of, you know, when we're mostly looking at vestibular, proprioception, what's happening to where they move in space and what can I do with lenses to subtly help them reorganize? All right, everyone. The Dr. Alex Show is brought to you by Shed Light Cold Lasers. And Shed Light Cold Lasers has been a game changer for us at HML professionally and personally at home. Personally, on a, on a personal note, I had a very bad bout of vertigo. And I got probably 85% there by going to a few different functional neurologists over the years to help me out with it. Then I bought this. And this is a game changer because one, it's portable. That means I can take it to the office, use it on patients all day, make sure it stays charged, come on home, and then throw it in my pocket and use that home. And this is what cleared up my vertigo. Now, professionally, the way it's, game, it's uh, been the game changer for us in the office is that it has cut our results down by 50%. This can get used on just about anything. Any disease disorder that you can think of, it can pretty much get used on. Now, as far as how it has helped us out, it's cut everything down by 50% on our times. So when we're working with our kids with special needs, uh, when we're working with our chronic neurological disorders, autoimmune diseases, to get those people into a good point that they're happy and that we're happy, times have been cut by 50%. You will definitely want to go check out shedlightcoldlasers.com or email Griswold at shedlightinformation at gmail.com, 518-338-6658. Welcome everyone to the Dr. Alex Show, and today we have a guest, first international guest uh, that producer <laughs> Nick pointed out, which is kind of cool, uh, Dr. Dr. Paul Roulette, and I guess, did I say that correctly? You did, yeah, that's perfect. Perfect, yeah. Okay. Well, I got to sit in on a lecture with Dr. Roulette through IAFNER, International Association of Functional Neurological Neuro Neurosciences and Rehabilitation, uh, for 2021. And he is an optometrist out of Canada, and he'll go over more of his stuff here in a sec. But he talked about how practitioners can better collaborate with optometrists, not only for visual acuity needs, but vision therapy. And vision therapy is a very popular thing. Um, some people like to poo-poo it because like everything else that's new out there in the in field of medicine, it likes to get scrutinized. Um, but uh, all of that aside, uh, we're going to go over a lot of topics that are going to be very useful for not only kids, but adults, because we'll talk about uh, sports vision therapy issues that can arise, anything to do with concussions, and then with kids, particularly learning disorders, talking about prisms, lenses, uh, tendon lenses, sorry, uh, anything along those lines. But Dr. Roulette, thank you for coming on. And as I said off air, seriously, it did having you talk about 
um, integrating vision therapy and collaborating really helped um, helped us not only understand like more of a better timeline on getting changes out of patients because sometimes I know I'm very impatient and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe we need eight weeks, not two right. <laughs> to make changes. <laughs> um, but also just the, the, the sheer expertise that goes into someone like yourself and all the extra details that, that, you know, cause there's sometimes where we can only get a patient so far. So it's super great to have someone to send out to, um, if they haven't seen someone for vision therapy and it really woke my wife, Dr. Lauren and I up in that sense, because what we did is we, we sat there and we're going over the presentation and we're like, wow, we've really become tunnel vision on some patients because you get wrapped up in what it is you're working on. And even when you go and reassess or reexamine, you don't think like, oh, are there other options at this point of the game that would be good to send the person to? Um, or is there something I'm missing? So thank you for coming on and thanks for the presentation. Well, it's very kind. No, I, uh, as I was mentioning, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, the opportunity to present, present to, you know, a number of different professionals who, you know, again, have different ways of thinking and viewing situations. It was kind of a growth opportunity for me as well to listen to some of the other presentations. So I'm glad that I'm glad it resonated with yourself and your wife. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I know you mentioned that it had some implications on how you practice. And so I think we're always just trying to evolve and grow. And so I'm glad that I'm glad you found it useful. Yeah. Now, um, just so everyone knows, because there's bound to be someone in Canada listening, where exactly are you? So I'm based in uh, <clears throat> a city uh, called Kelowna, uh, British Columbia. So Western Canada, we're about four and a half hours east of Vancouver. So we're sort of in a interior region, Canada's wine region. It's, it's, uh, it's a lovely part of the part of the country. And so we have our base there. And then we have, um, you know, we have a couple satellite clinics in, in adjacent uh, smaller communities uh, within interior of the province. Awesome. And now today's Valentine's Day 2022. Are yeah. you guys buried in snow up there? We are not. We're kind of in this like little nice microclimate here. And it's, you know, all of, a lot of the Canadian cliches are, you know, kind of lost on us a little bit it's it's not uh you know there's other areas you know to the east and the west where that would be the case but we're yeah we've got a nice sunny day it was outside no jackets so yeah it's kind of fortunate wow. it's, a, it's a good it's a good place to it's a good place to live for sure it's kind of this nice pocket where you can you know you can have a good work-life balance i'll say it that way there's snow on the ski hills but in town it's it's really lovely so wow yeah. Well, it kind of <laughs> sounds like living in Colorado. Not too bad then. Yeah. Kinda, I, I think that's probably a similar way, like a decent way to, you know, to compare the climates for sure. Cool. Well, something that's been burning at me, if you don't mind just going right away, because it even popped mm -hmm. up last week is um, when we're working with people, uh, as you do, we got post-concussion, we got people that just want to get the best out of themselves, vision, um, vision therapy for let's say sports or reading or whatever it is, and then learning disabilities. And then of course, neuro, other neurodevelopmental disorders like autism, dyslexia, ADHD, things of that nature. But something that's really popped up is prisms. I've mm -hmm. seemed to attracted a few kids and adults where I think the usage of prisms would come in handy. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't mind diving into that, because that can be kind of complicated. And I don't think a lot of people are, patients or parents know about that no yeah I'm, I'm certainly happy to to kind of discuss that topic so 
Prism is a very interesting entity that uh, it's something that you can add within glasses. Um, you don't see it when you look at someone's, I actually have Prism in these glasses. They kind of look, you know, like regular lenses, but essentially what it does is it shifts the orientation or where an object is in space ever so slightly. And when you prescribe it, um, you know, with proper care and attention, it can result in, of course, better eye tracking skills, better orientation skills, and just overall better performance. So PRISM is interesting because it's, it's kind of this generic term. Um, and, you know, the ways in which you can prescribe it can obviously be a little bit unique. We can, you know, there's a bit of a rabbit hole there, but I would say that the main areas where we utilize PRISM is we live in a very near-centered society. And so, you know, a lot of people are looking to get back to screen use, computer use, um, you know, reading more effectively and more efficiently. And in order to do that, our two eyes have to turn inwards and hold that posture for an extended period of time. Um, you know, evolutionarily, our eyes are distance seeking organs. They're designed to be focused in the distance and we're kind of putting them under an incredible amount of stress uh, with the amount of near centered work that we do. So there's one area with prism, you know, if you have someone who's got screen sensitivity, reading sensitivity, frontal headaches, particularly when they're trying to engage at near, mm -hmm. what you can do with prism is you can actually ever so slightly shift the image of the world out to take some of the tension off of their eye teaming system. Now you might look at that and say, oh, are you, are we adding a bandaid, something along those lines? But what actually tends to happen is um, it's often a lot similar, you know, you put braces on the teeth to straighten them out with prism. When you prescribe it therapeutically, you'll often see that although you're supporting the system, it will move the eyes inwards uh, more effortless, effortlessly. And over time you can move away from using it. So convergence or sort of screen tolerance is a big area where, where prism can be helpful. Other areas are, you know, when you have those, those patients who, uh, their orientation just seems a little bit off. Let's say it's uh, someone who's always drifting to the right, to the left. Um, you know, we mentioned some, you know, ASD clients who are always walking on their toes or things along those lines. You can utilize PRISM to shift the image of the world ever so slightly in a more advantageous direction. And because vision tends to lead the motor system, because again, you know, our eyes essentially kind of tell us where to go or, or where to move. If we've shifted them ever so slightly, then they can develop more effective movement patterns. So we'll often, it's interesting when you have an eye exam, you know, traditionally you think of sitting in this dark room, you know, lights are off, you look down these little tiny pinholes and these tunnels, and you have to say which letters are clearer, darker, and blacker. Yeah. When you're, when you're doing better, a little bit more of worse. a better better, one, worse. exactly. And that's still part of it. So I wouldn't say like, I, you know, that I'm, uh, you know, we still have, we still utilize that element. However, with the sure. glasses, Prism in particular, a big part of is about uh, seeing them move throughout space. So you've got a variety of different ways. Again, if we're shifting the world slightly left, slightly right. Um, and we mentioned computer as well. You know, you see it, I'm sure all the time, people have this chronic neck forward posture. You can utilize Prism to actually sh push the center of gravity ever so, ever so slightly backwards so that they sit with better neck alignment. So, uh, Suffice it to say with prism, essentially what you're doing is you're trying to take tension off of the visual system. So can help you with screens, can help you with people who are disoriented, dizzy, you know, always drifting one, one particular direction, or again, people who are dealing with cervical or, or neck tension. And so you mentioned collaboration for us, 
it's super critical that people are working with someone who's, you know, evaluating and treating uh, the neck as well, or giving exercises, strengthening in that particular region, because there are things we can do with glasses to kind of put people in a better position to succeed. But we also kind of want them working in this in this region effectively as well. So Prism, I think the main things where, you know, can Prism help is, you know, again, we talked about screen sensitivity, motion sensitivity is common. Um, the obvious ones are things like double vision. So if someone's you can't get rid of their double vision prism. You can actually move the world uh, in closer orientation to where the eye is deviated. So we see many, I'm sure you see many clients post-injury who have, you know, nerve palsies. And as a result of that, they're getting double vision. And, and typically double vision is your right and left eye are viewing the world in slightly different locations. So we can move the world to the location of the deviated eye and then work to train it into better uh, alignment. So it's a way to just allow people to engage with the world more comfortably. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we often hear prism glasses and uh, it's, they can have a really, really profound effect, but much like the treatments that you do, it depends a little bit on, you know, how much care and attention is put into prescribing them. But, uh, sure. but yeah, it can be, it can be helpful for particularly those patients who, you know, maybe are um, not progressing the way you would typically expect. Yeah. Now to wrap uh, people's head around it, mm -hmm. is it basically like the lens is like a wedge where, yeah. <clears throat> where you're like uh, maybe the larger side of the wedge is, let's say it's on the outside of the lens and that would force the eyeball inward. Let's say if the person quote had a quote, lazy eye that was going right. out, it would force right. the eye in. Okay. Right. It's that's exactly it. You know, prism, we often think, you know, there's the pink Floyd music album of like light bending and yep. it really does work in that way. Uh, I, I do mention, so you're right. Prisms are essentially designed. It's, it's, you've got a thick base and a thin apex and light is going to bend towards the base, which will move the eye towards the apex. So we're shifting things either, you know, left, right, up, down, sometimes to one eye, we shift it up, down. So I, I will mention the only subtle thing, a lot of times when you're prescribing glasses, when people hear that, they think, well, that seems a little bit concerning. You know, we don't want to be moving the world aggressively. A lot of what we're using is, we'll often term it micro prism or small amounts of prism. So we're talking, um, you know, at a distance of a meter away, it's moving the world a centimeter. I guess I'm using, you know, Canadian, uh, I don't know what that is in inches and feet, but that's, it's, it's a very small amount that we're, that we're shifting the world. Um, yep. again, to coax and guide, uh, into the, the best direction possible. Yeah. And in, I, I would assume in theory, cause I've had some glasses that are prisms in my hand and I'm blessed mm -hmm. to say, I don't have to have glasses at this point in my life. Right. Um, I don't feel it like you don't feel yeah the the thickness difference per se no so uh but that is absolutely huge what you said about neck pain headaches and uh prisms with working with uh computers yeah uh not only in the concept of you have to have your eyes come together they have to converge but then i guess you just alluded to you could have prisms to maybe have the eyes go down or shift the uh shift the image of the world so that there is potentially making the eyes go down that way the person's a little more upright 
Yeah, it's it's essentially what you do. You can orient it, and this is what this is actually the interesting thing with Prism is it does move the world left and right, but it also bends space ever so slightly. So truthfully, if you shift the world up ever so slightly, it bends things back so that there's this ever subtle sense that you're walking up a hill, not in any sort of aggressive way, but it mm -hmm. kind of pushes you back. So again, we, you know, sometimes you might have someone who's a toe walker. Can we push that center back so that this becomes your new movement pattern? We can move them forward if you've got, so a lot of times when we're prescribing glasses, we'll, I'll actually test someone's balance, eyes open, eyes closed, um, you know, destabilizing. And I'm getting a sense of, you know, when we're mostly looking at vestibular proprioception, what's happening to where they move in space and what can I do with lenses to subtly help them reorganize? If they're always falling forward, I might want to use a prism to, to, to guide them backward. If they're always falling backwards, we might go the other direction. So motor, motor elements are super key. Um, and so, you know, movement patterns is one piece and then just near centered sustainability, I guess, for, for, for computers, readings, phones, which are just, you know, we live in a near centered world. There's uh, I think you're good. We're going to be seeing truthfully more and more of this element being, we probably prescribe glasses with prism. I would say 95% of my patients and it's just because of the nature of yeah. we're, we're pretty much a referral center only. So, um, so it's not that everyone needs prism, but it's something where, you know, if the symptoms we've talked about are, are plaguing someone for months and months and months, then I think that there's a lot that could be, could be considered. Yeah. So then are the usage of prisms is, is that pretty common across optometrists or is it kind of specialized in that you regard? Know what? We, we, it's interesting because we are taught in school how to prescribe primarily what we would call compensatory prisms. So let's say someone's eye turns in, let's move the world to align with that eye that's deviated inward. The eye mm -hmm. goes up, let's move the world to align with that deviation. And that's helpful uh, by all means. And I think that's kind of tr traditionally what we do when you get more involved in sort of, you know, the sub fields, whether it's a developmental optometrist or neuro optometrist, where you work with different cases, you're often using prism in, as opposed to a compensatory way, more of a therapeutic way. So, you know, instead of the eyes going in, maybe we actually want to use prism in a different orientation to train it to go out as opposed to just put it passively where it naturally wants to sit. So mm -hmm. I'd say the tenets of prism are, are certainly taught in school. I know just, you know, I've been an optometrist for over a decade and I know people are, it takes a while to get comfortable with prism and it's probably not, you know, top of mind initially with glasses. We're seeing more of course, with screens and devices, we're finding, more and more, uh, you know, optometrists are, are getting involved with prescribing it, but it's definitely not, you probably, you'd want to maybe look for someone who within your area, who, who does a lot of work with, with prism. And you can even talk to their admin staff or talk to them directly. And, uh, usually you'll get, get a sense of that. So, yeah. And, and we'll, we'll have links for all of that in the show. Cause there are, there's the, is it North American optometrists? 
Optometric Rehabilitation Association. Did I say that correctly, Nora? Yeah, uh, yeah, Neuro Optometric Rehabilitation Association. That's right. Yeah, because we have we have one in the states, and then I know that there's sorry, there's a window here, and oh yeah, there's people running around. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Side note, the building we're in, it used to be the original post office in the town we're in. Oh, the really? Studio, I love that. It's cool. The studio yeah. is the safe room. So I'm I'm in a safe. It's locked Are in. Are you really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like, so it's probably soundproof then pretty well. Very soundproof. Yeah. <laughs> and the window you see, there's that glass. It's uh, uber thick. So every yeah. once in a while, someone walks by and, it, and, and I can normally just not have any issues but i squirreled out there <laughs> right <laughs> so uh, well, it's all good i didn't even see him so <laughs> oh, good well uh well anyway uh so we'll have the links in there because i know there, mm -hmm. there's a great um canadian-based association i'm sure there's others so that yeah. way people can get get the info um For and sure. find someone um so then last question on prisms at least mm -hmm. i can think of could someone just get prisms without any um correction in it in other words the visual acuity is fine but maybe prisms would be useful for something definitely and that's kind of that that's often sort of the that's sometimes a bit of the barrier to entry for people when you're talking about you know glasses where you know someone like yourself you've never worn glasses the story we've often told about glasses is okay you get them because you look across the street and the sign is a little blurry or the whiteboard is a little a little bit blurry Prism is a, a little bit of a different entity. And so even people, many, many of our, our patients will come in and see 2020 or close to 2020. And so there is a little bit of an educational piece where you have to say, you know, this is not designed um, to help you see things clearer, darker, and blacker far away. This is designed to allow you to be on your computer for a longer period of time. This is designed to dampen your dizziness. This is designed to allow you to walk into a grocery store and feel comfortable or sit behind the wheel of a car and feel comfortable. So there's kind of, there's a, there's a difference between clarity and comfort of vision. And so even if the clarity is wonderful, the comfort can be off. And so again, it's just, it's for us, it's about, it takes some time with every patient about rewriting the story they've been told about glasses because and, and also the other element is people are typically concerned well you know if i use this particular lens am i going to need stronger and stronger with with time which is you know what you know many kids who get glasses in grade three or four their their lens prescription gets higher and higher with time so people have that story in their mind and in their head and prism doesn't typically work like that it, it actually slowly typically you're reducing it uh, over time and again when you're collaborating with great allied professionals who, who are doing the work on the neck and the inner ear in many instances, if not all instances, people end up moving away from the lens or giving it or, or maintaining a very small amount long-term. Love it. Yeah. God, that is just a huge epiphany. I mean, that is right. awesome it, for like stubborn toe walkers, uh, right. people that like we can't shake with headaches working all day. Mm -hmm. Um, simple evaluation uh to whether they have glasses or not to just go have it done that yeah. that's awesome yeah that is just fantastic uh so then it, do you have anything else on prisms no i think that you know it's it's one of those elements where i mean i do often always mention you know you you, you reference there's going to be links in the show notes of 
um, you know, where people might find someone who's, who does a lot of work with PRISM because I, I, I do get a lot of patients who come in and they might mention, oh, I have PRISM in my glasses, uh, but it might've been prescribed in a, a compensatory way as opposed to a therapeutic way. So it's, mm. it's one of those things where I often mention, and, and it sounds like you've made some great connections there locally, uh, which is great, you know, finding someone who, you know, when you send someone to get prism glasses, your patients should be coming back to you with a little bit of the wow factor, you know, and if they're not consistently, then maybe you would want to, you know, collaborate or, or work with or, you know, we're, we're actually myself and some colleagues are creating a bit of a, you know, some courses and training on how to prescribe, you know, therapeutically with with prism. So maybe just finding someone who you do get that that subtle wow factor, I think is important. I, I just wouldn't, if someone comes in and says, oh, I've got, already got prism in my glasses, it doesn't always mean that it's the optimal prism. That's the only other thing I might mention. So, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It, th that kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of patients walking in in general. Sometimes you have to revisit oh, yeah. everything. Yeah. It, maybe it's been too long or maybe it just wasn't quite sufficient enough. Yeah. Um, and you would get that in your profession too. You know, I've seen a chiropractor, I've seen so-and-so, um, mm -hmm. you know, these, it, it doesn't always mean that the previous approach was what your approach is going to be. So yep. that's the only other thing I'd say. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So some of we didn't talk about off air, but I'm sure people are going to have tons of, uh, questions about blue light glasses. Mm -hmm. Um, let's talk about those. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, there's quite a marketing push in that area. And I think that it is, uh, you know, they have value. We have utilized them within the office in certain situations. If someone is, uh, you know, doing a lot of screen use, the, the, the reality is blue light that's emitted from screens is certainly of higher energy than, you know, other, other, um, other forms of light kind of within the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And it's designed for, you know, alertness and wakefulness, which uh, can be helpful at certain points throughout the day, but can be a hindrance to, you know, other situations. So the major thing that we often say is, you know, if someone's doing a lot of screen use, we might talk to them about filtering some of the blue light that comes in uh, later in the day so that you can, you know, get to sleep comfortably and effectively. However, blue light is really, really helpful for regulating our circadian rhythms. So you need to be cautious about how often and how frequently I'm really personally, I'm pretty opposed to just tossing it in your dress pair of glasses that you wear all the time, because again, we need that blue and that blue light in the morning to kind of get us going. So if you're filtering all of that or, or more than you need to, it actually can have some, you know, deleterious effects, uh, on, um, on, uh, on sort of your sleep cycle. So it depends on when you utilize it. The other thing I often say is the filters can be really helpful. Uh, they, they help with screens, but they also can help with sort of, you know, fluorescence or artificial light sources. Hmm. There are software and things that, you know, night mode on screens and F dot Lux yep. and these where you can actually reduce the blue light on your screen, even more, if, even to a higher level than what you get within uh, a filter in your glasses. So I would say that, it's a couple things are that blue light glasses, I think have their place, you know, in today's society, but I really cautious caution against people 
maybe wearing them all the time. You know, I don't think they should be in your full time. But again, I, I'm a big proponent of people having different glasses for different situations, much like, you know, we have different shoes for different, you know, you wouldn't go hiking in your dress shoes that you're wearing at the office. You might not want to be wearing the same glasses when you're doing screen work that you do when you're out and about in society. So you yeah. do want to be a little bit, uh, personally, I mean, my approach is I often turn down the blue emissions on the screen and I sort of more so manipulate environmental light as well too. Like with, you try and have windows in your work environment. You know, I know a lot of people now have transitioned, they can work from home and we've got a bit of a blog post that'll give you an outline on, on, on lighting recommendations. But the one thing is, they're probably not a catch-all for everything, the blue light glasses. And a lot of people will go online and get a pair and you don't actually know how much blue light they're emitting. They also might not have the right strength. They might not have prism in them. You know, there's, I just find that it's a really easy way for people to say, oh, I've got the blue light glasses to help my eyes. There's often a lot more elements that you can add uh, in conjunction with the blue light filter that'll make you way more efficient. So I don't know. It's probably a long answer to say that they do have their value, but I would say um, you, you want to be probably a little cautious about full-time use of filtering blue light. Yeah. Well, like a, like a lot of new technologies out there, it's not just black and white right? said and done on and off. Uh, but that is another huge note about going into wearing glasses, uh, blue light filter glasses in the morning. Because right. it, it makes a lot of sense because all that blue, it creates a lot of dopamine in the brain. And that's what mm -hmm. helps to a degree wake you up along with cortisol and keeps you motivated and adds pleasure. So if you're maybe a little slow moving in the morning and you got blue light filters on, that might be a contributor. Yeah. You want to take it off and get outdoors. That natural, I know, you know. There's been a lot of Dr. Huberman, uh, Andrew Huberman's done a lot of kind of like higher uh, awareness podcasts on the value of light in the morning. And a lot of that light that you need is that is actually kind of on that blue end of the spectrum. So, you know, an awareness of when you're filtering, I think, is the big uh, the big element to consider. Cool. That well, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So then to kind of dovetail off that, how about sunglasses? What's your mm -hmm. take on sunglasses? My wife and I were just talking about that a couple of days ago. Like I used to not have to have sunglasses. Now it's like, I can't go without them. <laughs> yeah, there's, so it's, it's interesting because I think there's a little bit of, there's a couple different avenues you can go down with sunglasses. I think the reality is with, with the extension of our, you know, lifespans and the longer that we're living, the reality is some of the ultraviolet light exposure, it might not have been an issue for us 500 years ago when, you know, our lifespan was short. However, now as people are living 80, 90, hundred years, that buildup of, you know, ultraviolet light exposure, particularly to some of the, you know, the small blood vessels in and around the eye can create some problems for people as they get a little bit older. So you're right. There is a sensitivity that develops. If you don't wear sunglasses, you'll probably feel more comfortable on a bright day than if you're someone who kind of always wears them. But if you're thinking about playing the long game, I think having a good, you know, filtering pair of sunglasses, you know, something that's got a nice anti-reflective uh, coating or polarized to kind of cut glare off of, off of water, 
it, it does feel better, but it's also looking at the long game of, okay, you know, what does, you know, I, I want to make sure that 70 year old Alex has healthy eyes. So maybe I'll wear them now. Um, right. The big thing I do mention, because I'm sure many of your patients have light sensitivity. Sunglasses, of course, aren't all made equal. So we do often, you know, if you have a patient who has sunglasses, but they're still light sensitive, you might want to ask them, number one, are they polarized? Because that has a huge impact on reflected light off roads and off, off of uh, water uh, as well, snow, that kind of stuff. Um, and then what, what tint they have is really important too. If you have, you know, a gray, gray for your really light sensitive patients, gray is often the best because it's a neutral density filter. It turns the world down equally in all different uh, elements of the color spectrum. Whereas when you have something, let's say they've got a yellow or an amber. I mean, there's a reason baseball players always have yellow and amber sunglasses. It enhances your peripheral awareness and mm -hmm. kind of motion detection skills, which is good in that environment. But if you've got someone who's super light sensitive, they might find that tint overwhelming. So we often, if someone's light sensitive, we might draw them maybe towards a gray or a brown um, polarized lens. If you've got an athlete, you might want to, we'll often do some of our athletes. We actually have some, um, you know, different ranges of kind of yellow and orange glasses that they might use in warm up to just kind of just warm up that peripheral awareness and motion detection. Um, yep. And then golfing, there's a whole lot. So for reading greens. So there, there's the one thing with sunglasses is, you know, similar to prism, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, but the big things for, you know, some of the people that are listening are, you know, asking them if they're polarized and maybe taking a look at the tint. And even if you're not sure, you just pop them on yourself and say, Oh, that, that feels calm or that feels really bright. And, and then you might say, Hey, you might want to look at a different tint for these sunglasses. So, so I think that's, yeah, it's, it's uh, I don't think you need to wear it every second of every day, but um, you know, dampening UV exposure over your lifetime is, is, is almost certainly to be beneficial to you later on. Yeah. Well, like everything else, it's a bit of a balance. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, and but, uh, we talked about that, that early morning sunlight, you mm -hmm. don't want sunglasses for that. You want that full sort of spectrum, um, you know, light that's best for wakefulness. So, yep. um, so yeah, it's, it's, I wouldn't glue them to your face, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be avoidant of them either, I suppose. And I think you had mentioned that in the presentation about morning light sunglasses. So it must have been you where I heard it from because I was like, hey, that's a great reminder. So if I'm taking the boy to school in the morning, um, sunglasses are off. You know, for instance, when I'm driving, sunglasses are off, but like the sunroof or moonroof isn't open. So I'm having less overhead right. light, Right. which then, I don't know, called a week and I was okay with having the morning sun beating my eyes with the sun visor and i was just mm -hmm. fine right um and then what i can't tolerate personally i know a lot of people is like i have to drive west to go home oh, right. that's brutal yeah brutal exactly yeah can't do it but <laughs> no that's fair that's fair those are the moments you might want to want to slip them off and the one thing i'll mention just because this might be uh, a line of dialogue that some of the listeners might have heard was the reality with kids, this is kind of, a, this is something else, of course, to be aware of is we do get, I think it's 70 to 80% of our overall lifetime UV exposure to our eye when we're young, you know, when we're under 10 or 11 years old, because the crystalline lens within our eye is so clear and open to allowing all light in 
So huh. I am, I am a fan of using, you know, sunglasses with kids for that reason, because if you want to leverage things, you know, having them when, when a kid is young is, has a lot, you know, less hours when you're young has much more impact than a ton of hours when you're in your sixties. So it, it's probably a consideration with kids to think about having a good pair of sunglasses, not to wear every second of every day, but you know, on those bright days and uh, you know, with when the UV index is high, it, it really does make a lot of sense. Yeah. No, that's huge. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that kind of brings up a topic that a lot of people, I don't know really anyone that knows a lot about tinted lenses in general. Right. Different colors. Yeah. What What's your saying on that? And then what I got to do is go on some other stuff and then just learn more about what you do with vision therapy. Cause I'm sure a lot of people are going to be very interested in that, but part of what I'm sure what you do is tinted lenses. I, we, we use colored lenses a lot. Yeah. We have, we do, we'll use like in the functional neurology world, we use what we call hemifields. Mm -hmm. So we'll have uh, like blue and red or black and red, um, divided on that on one lens itself so we we have different midbrain modulation going on right um and so that's a whole another topic but then we have solid colors we'll have colors of the rainbow roy g biv and then a yeah. big one that we use is rose mm -hmm. um which i find dampens the midbrain quite a bit mm -hmm. um but what's your take on different colors and using them for different things well we do a lot of colored work as well. I, I think that um, you, there's, there's, a, there's a number of different ways that you can utilize it. Uh, so typically, you know, the way that I'm often thinking about it, and I'm glad you brought up, you know, that vision therapy aspect, because I think one thing I did want to do want to mention is that 50% of the overall, at least overall vision therapy process is getting the right lenses in place. So I often think of it as you know, For the glasses. Color. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Is getting them. Yeah. Color or, or strength or prism. So for me, we, we of course do train the training as well. You know, the dynamic portion, but mm -hmm. we don't train anyone unless they have the right glasses, whether it's tinted prism lenses, we, we have to start with that or our ceiling becomes a lot lower. So it's a big, big part of, we will have many clients who just come get that right prescription and then work with other professionals on the recovery. So the training is a big part, but speaking to your point of tints, there's a number that are common. You, you referenced rose, you know, FL 41 is one of the well-studied uh, tints for, for dampening light sensitivity. Um, we find it's really helpful, particularly when you've got sort of like a chronic case of someone who's just had, you know, his light sensitivity for six, 12, 18 months. Uh, a little bit more common, what we usually utilize are different variations or shades of blue, which is interesting because you think, okay, we've got blue, blue, blue filters. We're actually talking more about changing the color as opposed to the frequency. And so what I mean by that is we'll have a light dusting of blue, usually somewhere between 10 and 30% for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, it's one of the best for uh, reducing sort of that peripheral artificial light chatter. So, you know, when people walk into artificial light environments, blue can tend to be, you know, one of the, one of the more comfortable lenses. Uh, we will often trial between a rose and a blue and depending on, you know, chronicity, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of choose. Um, the other thing that we can do with tints is 
we have a technique, it's called retinoscopy, where you can put different filters in front of people's eyes and you can use a point source of light and you can determine, you know, do their eyes light up or do they darken? It sounds a little abstract, but you can actually kind of see which of these colors seems to be creating that most awareness and activity. So we've That's got a cool. range of um, 10 or 11 colors. Uh, there's, there's a bit of a science behind it uh, termed syntonic phototherapy, which is a fancy, it's kind of like light therapy. It sounds similar to the work that, that you're doing where we're trying to find which lens in their dress glasses, um, you know, is going to be helpful. And then with phototherapy, we might do short exposures of, you know, darker versions. But again, um, going back, we'll often kind of blue and a, a rose are really common for migraine sufferers. There's a lot of research coming, you know, around the green color as being a, uh, a way of dampening, um, you know, dampening the incidence of, of migraines. Um, so we're kind of, those are some of our, our common ones. And then more bigger outliers are, we talked about someone who's struggling with night driving, motion detection. We might, we might trial them more with kind of a yellow or an orange element. Um, so in the dress glasses, we're often using subtle amounts of lenses to either make them more uncomfortable, more comfortable with artificial lights, screens, or bring down their headaches. And so that's sort of the glasses piece. And then similar to the work, it sounds like that you're doing with, with, um, you know, with, with, with colors and filters, what in the training world, we'll take them through this pr protocol of this syntonic phototherapy, which is, again, determining which, which filter kind of, you know, we saw the best engagement, and then we have them wear, wear it for short bursts. Um, of time and syntonics is a little bit more on you know what color uh, activates the parasympathetic nervous system versus the sympathetic and so yep. in the training I'm thinking more about okay this filter was seemed to be very activating of calm that parasympathetic um, you know with some of our kids we might be using lenses that will push them a bit with sympathetic and parasympathetic to balance it out so it's similar to the work you're doing. I hate keep using the phrase rabbit hole. There, there definitely is, there's things that we do in the training room, which is shorter, shorter exposures to um, maybe darker versions of tints. And then with glasses, we'll often have them wearing lighter versions just because again, you know, natural light is input. good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big input. And, you know, we, we probably don't need them exposed to this really, intense therapeutic tint, you know, 16 hours a day, you know, all their waking hours. So there's a yeah. little bit of a titration that happens, but suffice it to say, we use color in a number of different ways. Did that answer your question or was hundred <laughs> percent? Yeah. Oh, that's really neat. I guess I didn't pay attention to that's how syntonics work. Um, I was exposed to that, uh, uh, terminology 2020 I after, um, there's a great, um, I think she's a, no, I think she's an optometrist. She's out of, uh, is it South Dakota? She's been given a couple of presentations and she gave one this last year too. Yeah. But I didn't realize that's how it works. Uh, when we're in office, I'll, I'll look at someone's vitals and then I'll do simple muscle testing. And so I'll look at their pupillary, pupillary uh, light uh, uh, reflex. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I'll look at even pulse ox, blood pressure, um, maybe even just monitor symptoms and then put the glasses on and see how they do. Mm -hmm. Um, but for instance, a 
how powerful this is to explain to people is um, just last week we had a guy come in 21 or 22 had a terrible motorcycle accident. He's not walking. Now he, he, he can move his muscles just very weak and there's a lot to it, but I had him sit up and he can hardly sit up. It's very, he doesn't have the core strength. So he's kind of all over the place and sorry, moving away from the microphone. And what I did is I threw blue on because blue in the functional neurology world, we use that a lot for just overall motor function. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it was a guess, obviously, but I threw that on and then he stood still. And not only did he stay still, but he sat more upright and he could resist me more. So if I sat there and tried to topple him over, he actually had more strength. Right. Um, so when we're, and then his, uh, his uh, pulse ox actually improved too, which was kind of cool, but that might be not so much a, uh, important point to monitor with him but um blue is what he's going to get for instance but mm-hmm. then hour later uh, a child with autism came in and they got what fit them the best was green mm-hmm. and then uh, what we typically do is monitor that for i don't know two weeks four weeks kind of depends on the goal and we just see is that still a good color for you to have in office and at home and then we we might swap it out or it might mm-hmm. just be still very effective for them yeah. So, yeah. And you bring up, you know, there's, I've heard so many, uh, so many really great theories and well-researched angles on, you know, what is happening when we're exposing people to these different frequencies of light. There does, you know, you're thinking about that. It sounds like you guys do great monitoring with Pulsa, all of that stuff, which is wonderful. There, there is a bit of an element there of, Let's trial this for a period of time. We see a really nice response. Um, This has worked for this type of patient for me many times. I would like to give you the opportunity to to trial it and utilize it. Mm -hmm. And as much as, you know, we're monitoring for light reflex when we're trying to figure out what we're utilizing, sometimes there's there's a little bit of intuition with some of the, the filters. It's kind of, you know, here this set of symptoms, I've had some great responses to this. And the nice thing with, it sounds like your, your glasses and the ones we have are, we can give people, you know, a trial to utilize for a week or two. And let's kind of have you use this in, you know, non-concerning environments and, and give me some feedback and then we can titrate it from there. So I think for me, that's what I find endlessly fascinating is, you know, everyone has a different lens on maybe what's happening. I think all of it is happening in different ways, whether again, the you know, some of the oxygen saturation, sympathetic response pairs. I think all of that's happening in a variety of pupillary responses. We'll look for that too. We call it an alpha omega pupil where it's kind of just vibrating up and down. And you know that they're, they're not in this syntony of, uh, of, uh, of almost um, like a hippus. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so you, you can use that as a really nice benchmark for, you know, am I making a difference, but you know, experience intuition and then patient response it's kind of it's sometimes hard to get any better combination than that when you're utilizing different tints yeah well with the same individual um you know the the and it happens every time and, it, and it's not because it's magic but you know his parents were in the room and i put the glasses on I'm like oh my gosh and then he's like he's a very smart individual he's like what about red red's my favorite color i was like i was like yeah you want to fall over and he goes yeah he goes, I won't do that. Put him on him when he falls over. I, I mean, I mean, we, we caught him. He fell on the table, but yeah, it just, it instantly, 
affected him, um, right. which was that, that was a pretty amazing response, even though it was yeah. bad. But um, that's how powerful it is. And, and like you said, whether it's a mix of the parasympathetic, sympathetic, and uh, I don't know if it's controversial, but we use it a lot in the functional neurology world, dorsal stream, ventral stream, um, yeah. understanding, yeah. Um, all of that uh, is our justification, but totally. It was a, and are absolute... you thinking about the, cause we'll use those terms too, from the input of the dorsal and ventral. And are you looking at thinking about more of that, the output kind of piece there, the motor output, it sounds like in his regard. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And in, um, so then like if we wanted to work on dorsal stream with like an athlete, mm -hmm. then I find myself typically using the bivs. So blue indigo violets. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but they tend to respond well. Mm hmm um, then if we want to work on more details, so more of the ventral stream, especially with kids, I'm putting more like yellow, orange, red on them. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that helps pick up the, the details of things. And contrast um, for sure. Contrast. And, 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 it definitely heightens that. So in contrast, almost mm -hmm. like, a even with kids with, uh, Erlen syndrome mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, rose might work really good for mm -hmm. them. Um, that helps them contrast. So it, for everyone listening, tinted lenses can be used for just about anything. You just have to make sure, A, you know what you're doing, or you find someone who knows what they're doing because yeah. we use them, uh, Dr. Roulette uses them for just about anything. And same here, learning disabilities mm -hmm. to autism, to uh, someone recovering from a terrible accident, concussion. Mm -hmm. um, I think you had mentioned in your um uh, talk that you use, I think blue quite a bit for concussion. We, we do. And, and I think part of it is a little bit related to when people get in to see us for a concussion, which is we're not kind of the first stop on the, on the, on the train, you know, we're usually people have almost always worked with functional neurology, have worked with physiotherapy, occupational therapy, maybe their family doctor, and they kind of hit that three, four, five, six months, I'd say probably yeah, that's kind of the average, maybe between three and four months when we see people and blue is really common because a lot of people that we see come in with major artificial light sensitivity and a very light dusting of that particular color can be very, very helpful in, um, in kind of a dress pair of glasses. The other thing is there's, so there's, there's these different elements, uh, uh, with, with colors where, Blue, the way in which light gets into our eye, it actually creates a little bit of what we call a plus or a farsighted um, number within their eye, whereas a yellow can create a little bit of a more minus or nearsighted response within the eye. So what we're often trying to do is calm their, calm their artificial light sensitivity, but maybe we want to give them a little bit more plus in their prescription, or maybe we want to give them a little more minus. So we're thinking about it in terms of, you know, there is, is, is kind of that symptom response. And then also how is this tint going to change the prescription that I'm giving someone? So that's probably maybe why we lean a little bit more on, on that as a, you know, 10, 20, 30%. Uh, but you get, you do get anomalous, anomalous response where that's just not a, the right fit for someone. Uh, and uh, so in those cases, what we sometimes will do is we'll get you glasses with no prescription, with no tint. And then we can give you clip-ons of a variety of different lenses and let people kind of trial that for a period of time. So uh, it depends, I suppose, on how 
you know, uh, how much of a subjective response that you get, but, uh, it's a roundabout way of saying that, yes, that's a common color for us to use. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of got a, uh, signal from Nick here, I guess almost an hour's already gone by. This is nuts. Yeah. No, it's fun. <laughs> uh, it, no, this has been amazing. Uh, I guess the, the last kind of topic is kind of go over vision therapy as a whole. Cause I, I don't think people know that such a thing exists. Um, yeah. and, and if they do, um, I don't know, maybe they don't understand it. So, yeah, it's so the main kind of categories that we, so again, we've got the right, we've got the optimized lens uh, for someone. Again, that's about 50% of the vision therapy process. Now from there, uh, vision therapy is somewhat analogous to physiotherapy for the visual system. So there are, uh, you know, a number of muscles in and around the eyes that are involved with, um, again, we talked about creating sustained focus at near, uh, we call it eye flexibility. So your ability to look near and look far, there's quite a complicated cascade of neuromuscular responses that have to happen. There's the pupil changes. There is the actual muscles within the eye that have to contract and relax. There's the actual muscles around the eye that have to contract and relax. And much of what we're doing, <coughs> excuse me, from a mechanical standpoint is working on building better flexibility and better efficiency of this neuromuscular cascade. Can they do the activity faster? So how do we do that? You know, how do you train these little muscles? Well, there's a number of different ways. I talked about prism as being something you can add in the glasses to create support. We can also in the therapy room use prism that pushes people in the direction that they're, they've been avoidant of. We can use, you know, we talk about in glasses, we can support convergence in training. We can stress convergence so we can actually make them have to go much, add much more tension uh, in short bursts so that, you know, again, our goal is okay. If you can converge, Let's say if you can handle hundred pounds of pressure, then handling 10 will become easy. So we use training prisms, which are often prescribed in the opposite direction of what we do with glasses. We go higher and higher and higher. So again, if they're always drifting to the right, we give them glasses to push them back. Well, why don't we actually train you to go this way and, and the other way so that you can create flexibility. And the other thing that we'll often do. Uh, so again, that's maybe in the concussion world is we use a lot of tools that separate the input between the right and left eye. So many kids, you know, if they have a convergence challenge or they've got uh, a quote unquote lazy eye, one that eye that's stronger than the other, they don't necessarily have a full awareness that that's what's going on. But when we put glasses on that separate the input of the right and left eye, let's say we've got a red filter on one eye and a green on the other, and we've got red and green targets. If they're not seeing the red targets, they're getting an they're getting very immediate biofeedback that that channel is not turned on. And if you're playing, we'll do a lot of, uh, you know, 3D TVs and, and video games, and we can even do it in virtual reality where over time you coax that eye to, to have more awareness in these, these safe environments so that when they go out into the real world, that starts to happen more and more. So we use training prisms to push people, you know, out of their comfort zone. We use filters to separate the right and left eye. Uh, so they get this immediate feed, feedback. Oh, I didn't realize I wasn't using my right eye, but now I can see it because I can't see the target anymore. So they blink, they touch, they use tactile feedback. And over the course of a number of weeks, they put on the filters. And even though we've separated the right and left eye, they're both in synchrony. So we'll use filters to break things down. Um, and then, 
Uh, and then again, we're, we're, so that's kind of from a visual standpoint, we work quite a bit collaborative with occupational therapy as well to kind of work on the, uh, you know, the gross and fine motor elements. Cause I talked about, you know, vision leading the, you know, the motor outputs. Well, developmentally kids, first, it's kind of your gross and fine motor that are developing. And so when we see a kid who's maybe got a, a visual deficit, they've got, you know, maybe quote unquote lazy eye or a deviated eye. If we're going at the point source origin, something is likely going on in that gross fine motor system. There was, there was definitely some low tone. There was something, something in that area needs work and training and guidance. And, you know, we're fortunate we have occupational therapy on our team. And so we can kind of work them through some of those sequences before we get to the eyes. But essentially in a nutshell, this is, it's a directed set of activities to work on making sure that your right and left eye are experiencing the world equally because that guides our depth perception. If, if one eye is leading the other, your depth perception will be down because that's kind of, you know, how we calculate where things are in space. So we want to make sure they're working in synchrony. And then we work on these muscles in and, in and around the eye to build flexibility and efficiency. And the beautiful thing is these are not abstract topics. We have very dissimilar to yourself. We have very objective ways in which we can measure whether we've improved efficiency in this muscular system. So, and, and, and it's not, it's not, these are objective. It's not related on, you know, the, the response we can actually see and measure and document. We've published some literature on the impact on these neuromuscular systems, particularly in concussions. So we have an awareness that you can improve that efficiency and um, that's really what it's about. I, I think kind of in a nutshell is we want to make sure that we optimize, have the most efficient visual system possible. I think the area where it gets dicey is because it seems abstract. If you haven't heard about it, sometimes people use the, you know, the, the what do they call it? The straw man fallacy where they might state that you are trying to, for example, cure dyslexia or cure autism with that is not at all what's happening with envision therapy but that's mm-hmm. and i don't think i've never met anyone who would ever uh would ever assert that what we're yep. doing is we're objectively building efficiency we do quality of life quality of visual comfort surveys and we measure and see the gains uh you know throughout the program so most people it depends on the situation they usually come in in our office it's i'd say 15 to 20 training sessions is common uh, for complex cases, you can get to maybe 30 or 40, but that might be, you know, there's a lot of layers going on in those situations, but yep. I'd say the sweet spot, they come to us once a week for their, their, uh, physiotherapy for their eyes for, uh, you know, 15 to 20 weeks is, is, is really common. Yeah. And, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, and maybe you can say that if this is true or not, but something I learned when I was taking really in depth in my uh, functional neurology courses from uh, one of the guys that a lot of people look up to, Dr. Brandon Brock, had stated the eyes are so complex that he said, I believe he said this, that the math of understanding how the eyes move cannot be explained. Yeah. Like he actually said, I think he said, we can launch a rocket into space. We know what's going on there with the math, but mathematicians cannot explain how the eyes move. Mm-hmm. It's that complex. <laughs> I haven't heard that quote, but that is, that is absolutely certain to be true. You know, the, the mechanisms of pulleys and adjustments and reorientation, there's six main muscles around the eyes. And then you've got 
this cascade of focusing within. And this is responsible for dynamic movement as well as feedback and integration with the inner ear and, and the neck. It is one of the most incredible systems in the human body is how the eyes move. <laughs> I mean, downright incredible. And I'm, a lot of us might take it for granted and mm -hmm. I'm not here lecturing anyone, but it is pretty amazing. And I'm not saying I've read a ton of research on eye movement or ocular motor um, therapy or anything along those lines. Cause I've read a decent amount, but the only time I see math is when they're calculating their statistics. I'm not seeing math on, you know, or they might calculate how fast the eyes move, but they're not right. actually using math to explain how the midbrain integrates with the parietal lobe and the frontal lobe and maybe the pons and the cerebellum and the vestibular system to make that eye do what it's supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, and, and the, and the, as you've alluded, it's just the deeper you get, the more questions you have uh meaning that you know it gets it's not that it gets murkier it's that when you first start to look into a topic it seems simple oh, you know you help the accommodative system go near and far or faster and then as you start doing that you start to realize oh there's actually all these other elements in play that we need to integrate and i've talked about this collaboration it's like well they can do this well but you know they're complaining of tension back here how is that playing into what's going on with accommodation so i mean the more that you, the deeper you dive into anything, uh, when you're involved in sort of the rehabilitative space of neurology, the deeper you dive, the more humbling it, it can become. And the more you sort of like, you need more people to give you their perspective to open other doors because, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, but that's, I think what makes it rewarding long-term yeah. and, uh, you know, yep. why it's always fascinating to me. Well, and, and that's, that's why we, uh, that's why I asked to have you on because I was like, oh, this is an eye opener. No pun intended. Right. I'm like, oh yeah. my gosh. Right. Like, <laughs> there's so much information. And, uh, well, I don't, is there anything else you want to say? What is your website? We'll have that in the notes, but we're, um, we're okanaganvisiontherapy.ca. It's a bit of a mouthful. Okanagan is the region that, uh, that we're, we're in. And, uh, a couple things like we, we do have, you know, people are often wondering, you know, do I need to go see someone who does this work? We have a really quick, we don't collect emails or anything with this. We've got a quick screening test where we've got a good, it, it screens for peripheral and central integration. How efficient is someone? It's just this grid. It's called an aliasing grid. And then we ask you 15 questions. It'll auto tally it. And if you're above a certain amount and you found the grid uncomfortable, you, you, you likely might want to seek out some help from someone who does work in this area. So I'd say, you know, we do have lots of blogs and resources. I talked about, we've got lighting resources, lots of things to kind of, you know, help the general public, but that might be the most useful thing. Again, it's not, you don't have to come see me. It's just, okay, if you do that, you do this test, something's off. You might want to find someone who's, you know, has a special interest in, in neuro optometry or developmental optometry. Cool. Cool. Well, is there, is there anything else you want to leave everyone with? No, I just wanted to thank you for, you know, for having me on. And I always really appreciate talking to someone like yourself where it's, you're inquisitive and humble. And I think like that's, uh, to me, that's what, you know, the rehabilitative community should be. Like even some of the things you referenced and talked about, you know, you, you know, different red and black on the glasses might, you know, if I was interviewing you, I would want to know what that's all about because, it sounds fascinating. I'm sure you get wonderful results. And I think just keeping an open perspective and an open mind and, um, you know, 
just being inquisitive and kind to each other within the rehab community is uh, goes a really, really long way. So I just wanted to thank you for having me on and, and for those who listened. Oh, thank you. And I am making a note to send you information on the, yeah. on the, on the no, Emmy fields. Please do. No, it sounded fascinating. Like I just, uh, yeah, I'd love to love to yep. just sort of learn more about it. That would be great. Yep. I'll, I'll send you pictures and, yeah. and, and you'll have to eat it up that yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's great. I appreciate that. Cool. Well, all right. Thank you again, sir. Mm -hmm. Much appreciated again. No, my this, pleasure. This is awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on again. No worries. Yeah. Good to see you. Take care. Thank you. All right, everyone. The Dr. Alex Show is brought to you by Apex Energetics, apexenergetics.com. First of all, to learn more about Apex Energetics, head on over to that website. If you want to get Apex Energetics directly, uh, please call them 1-800-736-4381, or you can shop our online store. You can get to our online store at myhcpstore.com. Username is Dr. Alex. Otherwise, if you'd like to find a doctor that uses Apex Energetics, you can give them a call or go to the website and they'll direct you to a doc in your area that should be doing very good work with Apex Energetics. Apex has just been instrumental in our lives professionally and personally. About six years ago, we went through one of the most hellacious traumas that you can think of. And if it weren't for Apex with their stress support line of products, I probably would not be here. Point blank, period. And in the office, you, making the switch from other lines to Apex Energetics has sped up our results with our patients, supporting them through their healthcare needs, um, probably by 25%. Um, if not, if not more. And when it comes to Apex Energetics, we just want to remind everyone that we are here to not cure diseases, making claims. We're here supporting people, increasing their healthcare needs and helping them achieve their goals. Apexenergetics.com. The Dr. Alex Show is hosted by myself, a nerd, Dr. Alex Nelson. I'm a chiropractor board certified in functional neurology and childhood neurodevelopmental disorders. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or most any of your other favorite podcast apps. The Dr. Alex Show is a production of Fredcasts. Think, speak, act.